0: I'm your host, Nate Webb. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. It is great to be at BBG. The emotional development of our kids is incredibly important. And right now, it's suffering Uh, due to excess screen time, to lack of connection. They're in a high emotional world, especially online, with insufficient knowledge of how to address those emotions. Today, I talk with my guest, Dr. Elisa Van Langeveld. She's a professor at the University of Utah, and she is the founder of 10 Minutes Together Online. She specializes in connections and relationships, and we're going to talk about some simple things we can do to help our kids out. But first, gotta pay the bills. All right, everybody, we are back. So I am super excited about my guest today. Dr. Alyssa Van Langeveld is an adjunct university professor in child development, a parent expert, mother of four, and founder of 10 Minutes Together Online, where she teaches parenting skills focused on the power of connection through one-on-one time. i super grateful to have you on the show today. Welcome, welcome, Alyssa. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. So first off, how the heck are you? And second off, where are you coming at us from?
1: Thank you. I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I am in a suburb of Salt Lake City. So I'm coming in from Salt Lake City, Utah.
0: Okay. I'm in Tooele. So, you know, just about 30 minutes down the road.
1: Close, we're close, we're neighbors practically,
0: <laughs> pretty much. I mean, in Utah standards, is pretty much. I mean, well, with how in rural the internet it feels.
1: space, we are like next door neighbors,
0: uh, yeah. You're like in my living room, so <laughs> <laughs> so how did you end up in this space? I mean, you're a university professor, and then also, oh, yeah, by the way, I have my own business online. Like, how did that go there?
1: So, I continued on through grad school after college. I really wanted to be a mom. I really wanted to have kids and that just wasn't presenting. So I just kept going to school and I kept studying child development and human relationships. Um, and then i just fell in love with the topic so i never wanted to leave and honestly i never did leave i started college when i was 18 years old and i never really left so i went to college i went to grad school and then i started teaching even before i finished grad school and i'm still teaching so i'm teaching the family studies department um and i am my area of expertise is parenting relationships resilience and and especially middle childhood which is typically elementary school but children throughout their entire lifespan. So one thing that I found is that parents, there's so much parenting information out there and it's really overwhelming. And it's hard for the average parent to know which of these theories, which of these ideas do I really latch onto because there's so much. So I really wanted to be a place where I could distill all that research that's out there, all the study, all the theories, I have surveyed all of it and distill it down to the thing that really mattered so that everyday parents could take that great university learning and use it in their lives. And here's the secret, the most important piece from all of the parent-child research is connection. One-on-one dun, connection dun,
0: with dun.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's a powerful piece and it's not something that anybody needs to keep secret. It, it makes sense intuitively, but the research absolutely backs it up that that one-on-one relationship is the key. So as we're parenting our children, as we're parenting our adolescents, preserving that relationship and focusing on one-on-one connection is powerful.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. To all of this. So I'm a school counselor, a high school counselor. um, And one struggle that I'm noticing in so many kids is their emotional development. Like they are struggling to process emotions. They are struggling to not fear emotions. Um, Just a lot of emotional development issues. And like, I mean, in your expertise, what's going on there? Why do you think their emotional development is taking such a big hit right now?
1: Well, I wouldn't say necessarily that emotional development in current day adolescence is that different than what it's been in past generations. But I think that our everyday expectations for adolescents have increased and for adults. And then we've introduced this online world that requires a level of emotional awareness and adaptation that no other generation has really had to deal with. So I don't think that this generation of adolescents is uniquely ill-equipped to deal with their emotions I think that we've as a generation as, as a society we haven't done a great job with this throughout generations yeah so here's where I think it comes from I'm gonna do a brief little overview of something called interpersonal neurobiology so interpersonal is relationships neurobiology is looking at our brain chemistry our brain functionality you don't so have to when make when up
0: words we you know <laughs> I'm just
1: no, it makes it. me sound like I know what I'm <laughs> talking about. <laughs> Um, When we think about brain development in all humans, different parts of our brain specialize in different pieces. And what we kind of see is that the right side of the brain, right mode processing, we call it tends to take in information that is emotional sensation. So sensory experiences Mm -hmm. and abstract ideas. So Uh their feelings. The right side of our brain takes in our feelings. The left side of our brain does more logical processing. This is where we process language, where we process cause and effect relationships and make sense of what we're feeling. So here's where problems come into play. Starting from childhood, when we experience sensations, feelings, emotions in the right side of our brain, and we just leave them there. It's hard to understand that experience. Oof. So we have all of these experiences with feeling emotions without making sense of what those emotions are. And this is happening for all of us, especially mm. happening for kids. Yes. So what the, pr- the process then is to take those sensations, those implied implicit experiences and make them explicit, which uh. means we filter them through the left side of the brain, which means we talk about them. We put words to those feelings. Yes. So for our children, we say to them, it looks like you're feeling sad. It looks like you're feeling scared. It looks like you're disappointed, but we give them the vocabulary to make those feelings that are very abstract, very nebulous. We draw it into an explicit understanding. This is what fear is like. This is what embarrassment feels like. And all of those feelings are okay. Now we accept it, process it, and let it go.
0: I love that. And I, I do agree with you that kids aren't necessarily ill-equipped to process emotions, but I do feel like certain things are like kind of muting their emotions, like, you know, like smartphones and social media and things that that encourage them to not process them. And like, I don't know, like what, what are your thoughts with the whole smartphone and social media kaboom during 2020 for all these little kids?
1: Oh, great question. I agree with you. I don't think that adolescents are ill-equipped to manage emotions but i think the context we put them in the environment that they're in is highly emotional and we haven't really prepared them for what that might take so right. let me talk a little bit about self-development theory self-identity theory mm. in self-identity theory we develop all humans develop this sense of the my, me self and the i self yes The so are you familiar with this
0: a little bit but keep talking yes
1: Okay. So the I self is this idea of who I am, who I see myself being the me self is who you think I am. Yes. So it is perspective taking. It is seeing yourself through the eyes of someone else. And we develop that through reading social cues, nonverbal cues, and explicit language, what people say to us about who we are and the way we're supposed to behave in this world. Now, when we put our adolescents online and we post pictures or make comments, and then we put that out to the world, all of those likes and comments or the criticism or the critiques come at us at this ramped up. Um, version of self-evaluation. So all adolescents have gone through this process of developing the I self and the me self and reading social cues to understand their role in, in society, but online it's done at hyperspeed. So instead of negotiating 10 people and looking at their feedback, we're negotiating a thousand people and human brains are just really not equipped to evaluate that level of Um, self-identity, that level of me, self, I, self, what you think of me, what I think of me is what you think of me the same as what I think of me. How far apart are those two? Which of those is accurate? And they're constantly influencing each other. It's, it's hard, hard place to put our teens.
0: I mean, I remember when I was little, like, like I talk about one of the first steps for me, like overcoming bullies was figuring out who I was like, you know, early high school um, and deciding for myself who I was. And once I knew that for myself, you know, their hurtful words didn't hurt anymore, but I can't even imagine like this awkward moment in time when kids are trying to de- decide for themselves who they are and trying to align themselves with that. And then having literally thousands of people on Instagram who they follow or th- that follow them telling them who they should should be. Who are they going to believe? Well, probably whoever is loudest. And so it can be incredibly difficult for those kids. Oof. Yeah,
1: and I think what it really does is it kind of freezes that development because it's hard to settle on one concrete sense of self-identity with all this constant influx of inf- information. So instead of coming to, well, I guess I am like all of these beautiful popular girls that seem to be popular on Instagram. We don't settle on that being your identity either. We just sit in chaos, sit in flux, sit in a non-defied self-identity.
0: Oh Oh, man, that gives me a little bit of like, oh, that would not be fun to be in that place. And that's where a lot of kids are right now. So I guess the follow-up to that is how can we as adults help to support that development? What are areas that we can make things easier or be a support or what can we do?
1: Okay. So I'm going to talk about two things. First of all is the strategy, the method, the, the way that you can get it done. And that is through one-on-one time. And that's what my 10 minutes together is all about. Valuing the importance of one-on-one time with your adolescent. So prioritize one-on-one time with your teen. Family time is not the same. It is one-on-one time. Family yes. time is not the same and that yes. comes from theories of family ecology. So family ecology is this embedded systems. And what we see in human relationships is the most powerful relationship is one-on-one, the dyad we call it and what families actually are is this whole spider web of dyads. So, mom to dad, mom to child, child to dad, child to sibling, all of this spider web of dyads that create these really strong strong relationships, that is a strong family. Now, it is true that family identity exists as its own cohesive whole. But that is not as strong, nor does it replace the one-on-one relationship. So parents, prioritize the one-on-one relationship with your teen. Make it a priority to spend time with them at least once a week, one-on-one, 10 minutes at a time is enough. And then that's the first thing, one-on-one time. Second thing is talk about feelings. Normalize the talking about feelings so that when your children are having overwhelming, difficult feelings, it is already familiar to them to talk to you about that. Mm -hmm. In the research, we talk about a key aspect of parenting and the parent adolescent relationship, which is spontaneous self-disclosure. And that's what Mm -hmm. we want. What Mm -hmm. it means is spontaneously your child will self-disclose how they're feeling. So it's not about interrogating. It's not about catching them. It's not about reading their text messages. It's not you supervising and finding out that they're struggling or, or, um, monitoring what they're doing. It is your child coming to you and saying, you know what? I saw something on the internet that really made me uncomfortable or somebody's, no, I see people making fun of this girl at school online and I don't feel good about it. Our children will come to us. Our teens will come to us in those spontaneous self-disclosure moments only if we have laid the foundation work before those moments. And every time we spend one-on-one time, every time we acknowledge and validate their feelings and that they're accepted, we're laying, I, I think about it as like a plank, a raft in the ocean. We're laying a plank on that raft so that when they need the raft, when they feel like they're drowning, it's this huge raft that they can climb on and you're ready to accept them. But it can't be in the moment of crisis. Nope. This has to be in the good moments, the quiet, yes. the calm moments that you're building up that connection beforehand. So first one-on-one time, second, normalize talking
0: about feelings. I love that. I love that. And with the one-on-one time, put your phone down, like in quality there, your, your undivided attention for 10 yes. minutes. I think it's absolutely nuts. So that sometimes we think we're so busy that we can't spare 10 minutes we have 10 minutes that's not even that long like i spend at least that long scrolling on instagram before i even use the bathroom when i go to the bathroom like it's a thing you have 10 minutes and i love it so much um Let me share one
1: hack to get to the 10 minutes. If 10 minutes a day feels like it's overwhelming, it's hard to schedule that in your day. I get it. Life is busy. So there's a hack to break that up into three different segments. And they're all during reunions. Psychologically, the separation from our primary caregiver, from our parent, is difficult, And as children get older, you know, not being around their mom is not that hard, but it still becomes this moment of connection. So first three minutes of the day, the first time you see your child in the day, take three solid minutes off your phone, not preparing breakfast, not shouting upstairs to get out of bed, go to your child and connect for just three minutes. Give them your full attention. Welcome them to the day. Talk to them about what they're going to be doing or sit silently and help them get their clothes out or or whatever it is. But first three minutes of the day. Second, three minutes after they get home from school. The first minute that you see them after they get home from school, stop what you are doing for three minutes. That's it. And you can get back to it as soon as you're done. Welcome them home. I'm so glad to see you let's carry on with the day. And then the third one is the last four minutes of the day, right before they go to bed, take just four minutes to sit down and tell them, I love you. I care about you. Is there anything going on you want to talk about? Um, what are you excited for, for tomorrow? What was something today that felt really great, but just four minutes. So you can sneak in those moments of connection, all moments of connection count. If it's not a really long 10 minute episode, that's fine. If it's not an all day outing, that's fine. Every single time we connect with our kids, it matters. The goal here is that they have the message. I see you, I hear you, and what you say matters over and over and over again every day. Uh, I see they, you. You've got my full attention. I hear what you're saying. I'm listening. And what you say matters to me.
0: And they need it so, so bad. And they're always testing the waters too. Like, like I I I know of some parents who or some kids, so some high schoolers have told me, like, yeah, so. I cheated on a test, but I was scared to tell my mom. So I told her, yeah, my friend Tyler, he cheated on his test. And she's like, oh, that idiot, man. If one of my kids ever did that. And it's like, well, I know what I'm not talking to my mom about next time. Like our kids are always, if, if they know that they can trust us and that they can self-disclose things with the little quote unquote stupid things, then they'll know that they can trust us and self-disclose the hard things and like you said it can't be in the moment of crisis that we tell them you can trust me it needs to be in the good times when we're normalizing talking about our feelings so that when the hard times do come they go to you and not to TikTok.
1: yes absolutely and that comes in the calm and quiet moments and specifically when you talk about lying lying is something that all kids test out when they're young seven eight nine Three, four, they don't even know what a lie means. The concept of I'm telling you something that's not truthful. At three, four, five, that's barely even a concept they can understand. At seven, eight, nine, they're testing out what is it, what happens when I lie? What, what is the result of that? when we get to teenagers, if they're lying, it is the parents' responsibility to think hard about the consequence of the truth. Yeah. Because the reason our kids are lying to us is because telling us the truth is a much worse alternative. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be consequences. Um, Kids don't deserve to have consequences. If there's, you know, whatever they're lying about, cheating on a test, um, sneaking screen time, sneaking out at night, there can be consequences for that. But is the the consequence of truth worse than the lie? That's just something to think hard about as parents. How are we contributing to our children's poor behavior
0: by making it feel
1: like telling the truth is gonna have a pretty awful
0: result and and all of this stems from just having a good connection with them having a good relationship with your kid they will be comfortable enough to tell you when they're struggling if they feel that they are seen that they are heard and they are loved um yes and let
1: me let me just clarify that a little bit more because i don't want parents to walk away feeling like having a good relationship because that you know that's so abstract what what does good mean in the research, what good means is a secure attachment, a secure attachment to their parent and a secure attachment means unconditional regard. No matter what you do, you're going to be loved here. No matter what you do, I'm going to accept you. There might still be consequences, but no matter what you do, you always have a place. I will always take care of you. I will always be your parent. We will always be your family. Unconditional regard, unconditional care and love. And in the research, we call that a secure attachment.
0: Yes, and you can still be quite upset and still unconditionally love them. Sometimes if they drop a bomb on you and you know you're going to pop your lid, you can let them know, I need a second. I want to talk to you when I'm able to be calm and then we're going to we're, we're going to have a chit-chat, but I need to leave for a second because Absolutely. my emotions are are very high right now.
1: Absolutely. So in addition to teaching our children to regulate and identify their emotions, parents also have to identify and regulate their emotions. And when we are yes! boiling o- over <laughs> When we are boiling over, we need to take a break because the evidence of good parenting is found in the parents behavior, not the child's. We can't actually control our children, even if we teach them all the best things, even if we are kind and loving and have this unconditional regard. We really cannot control them. All we can control is our, as ourselves, and our own reactions to what our children is um, are telling us.
0: I love that. Ah, oh, so much yes to all of this. So what what can we do moving forward? What are some small changes families can make? um to start improving moving forward cuz i know a lot of people are right now they're like oh my gosh i have screwed things up i am a failure i like kind of freaking out right now and there are some very very small and simple things that we can do to make some cultural changes um and what are some of those things
1: okay so i'm going to start out of course with one on one time so make it a plan in your family that you do one on one time if this is not something that you've done previously plan a kickoff event So that could be something where you sit with one child and you say, Hey, I want to spend more time with you. I really like being with you. And I know when we're together one-on-one, it's really special to me. Let's come up with a list of activities we'd like to do together and supply the list together. Maybe it's going out to get ice cream. Maybe it's going on a walk. Maybe sometimes occasionally it might be using screen time, scrolling through photos together and talking about it, listening to old music from when you were in high school and having your child listen to that music and talk about it, listening to their music, what they're into today and being present for their life. So screen time is allowed, but don't have that be the only thing you ever do together because the heart of the one-on-one time for an adolescent is the emotional connection. Yeah, Yeah, we can be present. It tells them something that you matter to me. I'm going to sit down and play Fortnite with you or whatever, but- that's not hitting at the same emotional connection as it would be if we're talking together, or sharing old photos or something like that. So first one-on-one time, another kickoff event might be a, um, a, a whole day. Let's plan a whole day together. How are we gonna start doing this one-on-one time? Because we want it to be regular in our life. So maybe it is you go to the batting cages together or you go on a hike together, or you can plan a big event, but include your child in what you're doing and be really specific. I want to spend more time with you, you can give it a name, call it, we call it together time in my family. We get some together time and my kids, they know what it means and they love it. And they'll seek it out when they are feeling dysregulated in their emotions. They'll seek me out and say, Hey, can we have 10 minute time? Can we have together time? So first make that strategy one-on-one time. And that hits at the secure attachment. Second thing, this is the gold standard in all the research for parenting is that we have to, at the same time, exhibit high warmth in our in our parenting and high expectations and boundaries. Mm. So the focus on unconditional regard does not mean we just let our children do whatever they want. There are no expectations or boundaries. In fact, the best results in parenting show that high warmth and regard, no matter what you do, you always have a place here and high expectations, high boundaries. So uh, let's say your kids come home with terrible grades. So you're mad because in our family, we don't, you know, cheat on our tests or fail our classes. So first thing, connect. First thing is the relationship. I'm so disappointed that you, in these grades, you probably are too, but you matter more to me than your grades. I love you. This does not change the way that I feel about you. And in this family, we expect better performance at school. So let's talk about some ways that we can make sure that You can get these grades up or for next term that you can do it better. So there's both the high boundary and the high warmth at the same time. And when researchers have asked children what makes a good parent, they get the same answer where children say they want this love, they want this care, but they also want to know what to expect. They want to know where their limits are. They want to know where their boundaries are. And the solution doesn't mean really tight boundaries. It just means that some boundaries are there and the kids know what those boundaries are.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So numero uno is one on one time together. One time. on one time. Okay. Two is.
1: We'll call it authoritative parenting. There we <laughs> That's go. That's what it's authoritative, called in the research. Pr- There
0: we authoritative go. Authoritative
1: parenting. High warmth, high expectations. So when a parent is sitting in a moment of, I don't know what to do, run it through that filter. How okay. can I make sure I'm showing high warmth? How can I make sure I'm, I'm, keeping the expectations and boundaries. And there are some fluctuations there. There are moments where my warmth does not look very warm because I am boiling (laughs) over or something has happened. Give yourself some grace and some understanding. This is all supposed to be the general pattern of parenting. It is not perfect parenting. And sometimes the expectations, you might give your kids a break. You know what? You've had a rough day. You don't have to unload the dishwasher today. I get it. I'm going to do that for you. Mm -hmm. Sure. Be flexible. But the overall pattern is high warmth, high expectations.
0: And guys, this is going to help out with so many things. And granted, not everything is 100% preventable, right? So if your kid ends up being a bully, it's not going to be your fault necessarily. If your kid ends up someday struggling with suicide or depression, also not your fault necessarily. But if we work on these things, the connection, the one-on-one time, the authoritative parenting Um, then we will be able to give our kids those tools and give them their best shot. And that's, that's the, that's the best we can do. Oh, this has been so good. I love this. Um, Parents. I hope you guys are listening, Uh, taking notes, whatever you need to do. This has been so beneficial. Um, Thank you so much for coming on today. How, how can people see what you're doing? Shameless plug time. Um, best place to
1: follow me is on Instagram at 10 minutes together, 10, the number 10, 10 minutes together on Instagram where I share parenting strategies there. And I also have some resources that people can download or sign up for some parenting classes.
0: Boom. There you go. And that'll be in the podcast description as well. So you can go down and click on that. You can go follow her, go check her out. Um, she's got lots of great applicable stuff. Um, so Yeah. And then for your daily dose of positivity, make sure to go follow me at bulliesbe.gon. Um, for speaking queries, email me. That's going to be in the podcast description also. And always remember, you are wonderful, you are worthy, and you are worth it. Go home and give your kids an eight-second hug, and we'll see you on the next one.